Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the 10th and final episode of Series 1 of Bugs. The episode entitled Pulse. A businessman is brought before Patrick Marcel, venture capitalist of sorts. He wants to make him an offer he can't refuse to buy out a controlling interest in his small company. It is an offer that he does refuse, and moments later, he's been killed by Marcel's chauffeur with an overly complicated bazooka. The folks from Bugs are on the case, although it's unclear who their client is. Some French people have been buying up little loser companies, and in some cases, the original owners have gone missing. They create a profile of the type companies that might be targeted, and Ed recognizes one of them, Weaponworks, which is owned by someone he knows, Claire. He goes to see her. She's not interested in Ed's help, but she's hiding something. She also has a daughter named Katie, who's a lot better at computer games than Ed. We see that she has a meeting with Marcel, and that she initially refuses to accept his offer. Beckett is talking with the owner of a different target company. He's a stubborn Scotsman, and he's not about to sell out to the Frenchies. He walks away from Beckett and into his office, and a bomb kills him. Team Bugs take over the company to see what happens next. Soon, Marcel has visited Beckett and made him an offer he cannot refuse. So he takes it. His job? To build a doohickey. Just exactly the type of doohickey this company makes. What's got everyone shocked is how well-informed Marcel is about everyone's business. They realize that Marcel has access to the company's data backups, and indeed, he is the owner of Computer Recall, the premier off-site data repository for European businesses. Because of the nature of the business, the building is shielded from electromagnetic signals, making surveillance almost impossible. Using a two-pronged attack, Ed delivers a backup for data storage that is actually a video transmitter, while Roz tours the facility, pretending to be a potential client. While there, she plants a transmitting relay. The video device is soon discovered, but not before they figure out that the chauffeur is actually Patrick Marcel's smarter and more ruthless brother, Jean-Daniel Marcel, the actual mastermind, with Patrick as his frontman, and also that Claire's daughter, Katie, is being held prisoner in the facility. Claire is still uncooperative with the bugs, so they surveil her and confirm that Katie is being held hostage to ensure compliance. Claire is supplying a specialized EMP missile for Marcel. They realize the doohickey their company was charged to make was a missile launcher. The pieces begin to fall in place. Meanwhile, Jean-Daniel, having detected the bug, easily tracks it back to our hero's lair and delivers two bombshells. The first, metaphorical, in the form of the revelation that this heretofore nameless business with which we have been calling bugs is actually called gizmos. And second, literal, in the form of an actual explosive delivered via his overly complicated bazooka. This renders Beckett injured and a prisoner of the Marcells. Roz chases Patrick and the missiles. Ed discovers that Beckett is a prisoner and hatches a plan involving a hatch to gain access to Computer Recall's facility. The Marcell brothers' plan is this. They've been using the data backups to spy on companies, finding small vulnerable businesses to buy a controlling interest in. They've also used this information to find companies that can help them build the missile weapons system. 
They will use an EMP burst over London and Geneva to destroy the computers of the major corporations that exist there. Their building, shielded from electromagnetic radiation, will endure and then, in a massive conflict of interest and breach of contract, they will not supply the backups to their competitors, only to the companies they've bought up thus destroying their competitors and causing a massive increase in value to the companies they've bought into. Roz has been trying to disarm the missiles, but she's caught by Patrick, the stupid one. But not for long, as Patrick is killed by standing in the backwash of the missile launch. The good news, Roz is free and one baddie is dead. The bad news, the missiles are on their way to wreak havoc. Jean Daniel has programmed the missile destinations and goes to deal with Ed. Beckett escapes, and in a nod to Jurassic Park, Katie is the one who reprograms the missile destinations to be harmless. They attempt to escape, taking the missile programming system's trackball ball with them, because that's a thing you can do. After a tense chase, Jean Daniel catches them, but Beckett poses him a question. Where do you think I redirected the London-bound missile? Just then, the missile hits the building, disabling all the electronic devices, including Jean Genier's overly complicated bazooka. Not so with Ed's super soaker glue gun, though, which he uses to incapacitate Jean Daniel. In a tag scene, in the upstairs-downstairs headquarters of the Gizboids, Katie is holding Beckett hostage until he agrees to marry her mom, Claire. The end. That is a tense cliffhanger there at the end. Will Beckett have a wife next season? Ah, and a child who can help them with computers because apparently Beckett can't. All right. So the elephant in the room. Gizmos? Really? <laughs> Gizmos? Ten episodes in, they have scrupulously avoided showing us the name of the company, mentioning the name of the company, doing anything. I, 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 ugh. I hate that, and I hate the name. I mean, doohickeys, thingamajigs, doodads, gigas, whatchamacallits, any of those are just as good as gizmos. And there was actually an episode of the Avengers called Thingamajig. There you go. See, so they already knew how to spell the word. And uh, it, it's, I, 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 um, uh, I told my wife about this today. She has not been watching it. And I, uh, you know, I told her about how these Outrage. Beckett was in the hive and they solved this crime together. And then, then Roz comes to him and says, Hey, I got a business proposition for you and how we've gone through this whole thing. And this is the type of stuff that they do. And, you know, I told her at first the name of the show and this stuff. And here we are at the final episode and, and they've never mentioned the name of the business, but what do you think is the name of the business? And she goes, bugs. And I go, there you go. Exactly. So we get halfway through the episode and one of the characters picks up a phone in their headquarters and goes, Gizmos, Beckett speaking. And my wife, who just happened to take a sip of apple juice at that moment, practically choked. <laughs> so it's like, you're kidding. Like, uh, like uh, uh. To be fair, bugs would be worse. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, 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 neither one is a good name, but the fact that it's what the show is called... Yeah, and there's no logical kind of reason for the show to be show called either. that. It's no logical reason for the name of the show to be called that. You know, or illogical. It's yeah, just there's... not a good name. Yeah, so uh, I can see why they avoid it. What I'm worried is that we're going to have the the Angus MacGyver uh, symptom now. Um, if, if you not know, I mean, they went through I don't know 40 seasons of MacGyver and scrupulously refused to tell what his first name was, like Endeavor Morse. Because because it's so bad, right? It's such a and everyone who ever sees it will like look at his driver's license and go, "Oh my God, that's your real name!" Eh, no, and so they went through the whole thing, and then about the final season, one day they finally popped up and he goes, "It's Angus." First off, it's not a great name for an American, but it's not as bad as they made it out to be. But then from then on, it was like, "Oh, you're Angus MacGyver." Oh, what's your name? It's Angus. What? Stop it. Phone call for you, Angus. Oh, God. <laughs> Angus MacGyver, what have you been up to? Just over and over and over again. Whereas they had, you know, they'd been holding that as a joke. And then once they blew it, 
it was so anticlimactic. But then they just completely just trod all over it for the rest of the show. I'm worried they're going to do that. I'm I'm I'm, I'm worried I'm pretty we're going to sure gizmos thirty times an episode from now on. I'm pretty sure that in in, in Inspector Morse. They held back the reveal of his name to the last episode. See, now that would and be made more a big deal out of it. Well, yeah. you say that, except then they did a spin-off series called Endeavor. So, I guess it's the MacGyver syndrome there as well. Was Endeavor his first name? That was his. That was the name revealed. Yes. See, Endeavor is worse than Angus. Yes. <laughs> Angus just isn't that bad. Um, I mean. It, they made it out to be so awful. It's, it's, I want Bugs, I, I Bugs MacGyver. Spencer in, in the Robert B. Parker series, because I could have sworn at some point I read him revealing his first name. And so we actually, because there are umpteen references to how terrible it is, and that's why he always goes just by Spencer. Mm-hmm. But somehow that was just my brain tricking me because I have, Reread all 40 books many times, and he definitely never reveals his name, which is the way it should be if you're trying to make a big deal out of how bad the name yeah. is. And your imagination will come up with something far worse than whatever is suggested, because what's worse for you and what's worse for me is going to be different. And so right. every every reader, every viewer is going to have their own thing, whereas if, as soon as you pick something, however inspired it is, it's never going to be as satisfactory for everyone in the audience as just keeping it Like the it doctor's name. Like the well, name of quite. the doctor. Well, quite. I, you what know, I would say, I, though, is that I don't think in any sense the name of the organisation in Bugs has been made the subject of suspense at all. And the, no, but and it the, has been scrupulously avoided. No, I don't think it has. I think certainly the impression I get anyway is that they have... They've managed to get through nine episodes without ever having to answer the phone so that they didn't have to come up with a name. Oh, Not, they just... <clears throat> they, were, they, were tr- they were trying to avoid revealing this so that in episode 10, they could come up with this big reveal. I mean, I was, I was surprised it, it came up in this series. Having got this far, I thought it was something that must have been revealed later in the, in the show because you could see how they'd begin series two with it, having gone, right, you know, we got through the first series without actually having to name the team, but it's just too difficult. We're going to have to call it I, something. I, I, I feel like there have been gymnastics in a few lines of dialogue where it would be natural to use the name of the company, and, and they don't. You know, things like, I've called in these security experts... Yes, I've heard of the, you, you just I've heard of these people. Oh, uh, how have you, you she doesn't know who say who they are. How do you know you've heard of them? Da, 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 da. It just it But I don't think that like has they've... anything to do with the name. I think it has to do with the fact that they actually have tried to avoid pinning down exactly what it is that our protagonists do for a living because we get that we get that reveal at the end of Out of the Hive where or, or the, the you know the cliffhanger where Roz says, "I've I've got a yeah. yeah I've got a proposition for you," but since it's not clear that Roz has her own company and is therefore in a position to employ them herself, it it didn't seem at all clear what that proposition was going to be. In fact, my guess, having only a, a hazy memory, partly based on later developments in the series, which we won't go into. The proposition that Ros had was going to be to do some work for a contact. And indeed, in episode two, straight away, it is one of Ros's contacts who is the client. And you can see why someone like Beckett brings the suitable skills into that role. But hmm. what we're actually being presented with in those first few episodes, I think, is between episode one and episode two, at the end of episode one, Beckett is unemployed. Um, there is this suggestion of a proposition. At the beginning of episode two, they appear to be in business together, though it's not obvious who's working for whom. So I guess maybe, you know, some sort of partnership was formed. That was what Roz was proposing. Let's go away and hammer out a deal where we 
set ourselves up as a company and market ourselves as God only knows what to God only knows who. I but it's never... enough of a hook to, to give you the, the storylines that we then get. It's still pretty vague and it's still pretty unclear what kinds of clients, what kinds of niche they are, they are aiming for to the point that here in episode 10, you and I have no idea who they're working for for the whole episode. Right. Yep. Yep. I, I mean, I have never, I never took from this in any way, shape or form anything other than when Ross said, I have a business proposition for you two, that she meant anything other than setting up a business. She didn't, I, I didn't say a business I, I, proposition. Mm, that's interesting. But that, that, yeah. Nonetheless, nothing that she said, whether or not she said the word business, nothing she said or nothing I've seen has in any way ever made me think that this was anything other than that just these people set up a business. This is, this is the, the, you know, that sure, that's generation. that's pretty clear in episode two. That, that's, <clears throat> that's that generation of everybody's making their own business and making their their way the me generation or whatever it happened to be back in those days and it just feels like the zeitgeist of that time well so i've never, I've never thought is, that, that is... they were working you know had a retainer with a government or anything like that just didn't didn't feel like it but today it kind of does because they're solving a problem that no one has asked them to solve or it seems I like think, they're solving I think a there's problem a... no one's asked them to solve there is a fundamental issue because we have to root for them as heroes and they have behaved in ways that are quite, as we have said, quite questionable because they're operating outside the law, but they're mm -hmm. operating at the same time as a, as a private enterprise. And I think, I mean, actually what you've just said is a really interesting way of looking at it because I agree, it is the zeitgeist of the time. And so... I can understand how the show creators might have gone, well, you know, in the 1960s, the Avengers are doing it for king and country. And although, you know, at the beginning of the series, the very beginning of the series with 110 and towards the end with, well, let's not talk about mother. Um, <laughs> there, just some of that, some of that is more explicit in terms of, in terms of the kind of hierarchy that demonstrates exactly how they are operating on behalf of the state but in the middle of the series at its best the point about it or the enjoyable thing about it is that that is supremely irrelevant we don't need to see how they get their orders or how any of that kind of actual espionage infrastructure works what actually matters is simply that we know that they're the good guys Mm-hmm. And, and so try to fix I, things. Yep. Yeah. And so I think this show has landed itself with a problem because it's picked up on this zeitgeisty idea, exactly as you said. It's very keen to be the show of now because I think, again, that was what made the Avengers successful. The fact that it was very much 1960s, even if it was a kind of unreal version of swinging 60s in England that was at, at, at best exaggerated and, you know, perhaps complete fantasy and i and i i guess what they're trying to do is pick up again on the zeitgeist in the 90s the technology is a big part of that mm -hmm. but i think you're absolutely right when you say the hacker yes. culture yeah also it's it's the hacker culture it's the it's the it's the private enterprise it's it's following because it, you know in the 1960s the establishment was something different and bugs is following on from over a decade of Thatcherism and so people's attitudes have changed and so and what seems to be cutting edge is different but the problem with that the inescapable problem with that is that if they are following that ideal of looking out for number one let's set up in business for ourselves let's let's be let's be co competitive there is no there is no reason why they should actually morally be better than anyone else. Right. All they can be is more successful. Right. So it, it, this is an, an oddly positioned program. And, you know, I, in this particular episode, it in a way, it's kind of more uh, Avengers-ish because they're just on the job. Yeah. For no one. Just and because not, there's something wrong. 
right? Yeah. Which, and they which, use which the word again. clients a lot in previous episodes, right? I mean, that's there's no doubt they're doing it for clients, but here, nope. Agreed, yeah. And and in in a way, you can you can kind of see why why there are there are potential clients in this episode where they could go well if if we if we if we if we go to these people and warn them about this company then that could deliver some business for us but it's it's the question mm-hmm. of how did they get there in the first place that still puzzles me Hacking because they identify this this pattern about what what this company is doing why would they even be looking for a pattern it's not like they are a government department whose job it is to make sure that there are no kind of rogue traders out there ripping people off. They're on the hustle. That's all. They're just on the hustle. They're on the ball and they're looking for ways to make money. I, I, but have I they no know. better direct way of marketing themselves? It seems very, very roundabout. Okay, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go out on a limb here and say that their marketing department is a complete and absolute shambles because they're called gizmos. <laughs> <laughs> I can see we're never going to be able to discuss bugs without this coming up anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And I'm never going to call them team bugs anymore. I'm going to call them the gizmoids. That is what those people will always be from now on. <laughs> to me, in my mind, they're the gizmoids. And I think that you'd have to call the hangers-on the gizmoids. Gizmoid sounds gizmo-like. Without actually being a gizmo, I, I mean, maybe they are hanging. The gizmos are actual objects, so they're they're hanging on to the to the the bugs and the device. I don't know. It just it, yeah, yeah. I, I'm deeply troubled by this. I was uh, switching gears though. I I did have a complete and absolutely brilliant laugh out loud moment in this episode, such that I stopped watching the the video to uh to really get past it all and that is the moment when she lena i believe it was working on the computer and she goes oh sorry it's going to take a little bit because the the backup is happening right now and and at that it all slapped me in the face at that exact moment i mean it just it was a it's like they've got the backups they're stealing the backups. These guys, that's where they're getting all the, they, they, this is, I've got it. I've, it still makes no sense, but I've got it because you do not schedule the backups in the middle of the work day, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I, I started the thing up again and they showed that US robotics modem and I just had this wave of nostalgia. Ah, <laughs> uh, it was yeah that was that was a, a a brilliant moment and it fell apart in my mind very quickly when they figured out what they were doing but it did come to me instantly when he when they said it i think they just probably they'd probably just delivered the line something along it still want to know why these guys are so well informed about these companies yeah and i think then they sat at the computer and because it was right in proximity it was it was intended because obviously they they re- they themselves revealed it seconds later so that cracked me up it really did what i didn't really understand was what the episode was actually about <laughs> it felt <laughs> okay fair well, enough bear with me bear with me it felt like there was again there was a kind of, there was a there was a doom watch level of potential in exploring something that has become a, a, a massive issue, which I, you know, you there are various directions you could go with it, but in general, in general terms, data protection, mm-hmm. the cloud, trusting your data to whoever. What do you know about that? And in it didn't really use that or explore that at all. Not in really. terms of in terms of the actual future tech it was there to warn us about i wasn't quite sure whether it was suggesting that we shouldn't back things up or whether the actual i'd missed the tech in thinking about backups altogether and whether the actual concern it had was with the pulse weapon since that's Mm -hmm. the actual title except there was really nothing interesting about that i mean we've seen that used much more interestingly in other things Mm-hmm. And overall, it was actually quite a low-tech 
episode. All the threats didn't come from the tech. It came from taking children hostage or firing at people with an enormous bazooka, albeit a computer-controlled bazooka. Overly complicated bazooka, I might add. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, it is, it's very kind of disjointed, and, and hopefully I also pointed out in the, the recap the sort of ridiculously poorly formulated plan. Okay, so you get the backups, great. You have access to their business, and we'll talk about that in a minute or two. That you've got all the information on this business. So you have two things that you do. One, you buy a controlling interest in businesses that are floundering. Yep. Small businesses. That's that's one. Two, you also buy a controlling interest in small businesses that can do things that you need done. Make pulse weapons. Make missile launchers. Who knows how many others of these businesses that they purchased because they had a practical value, not just an investment value right so there's two different types of businesses they're going after the the third is that they've got what is obviously an incredibly lucrative business already in backing up all that data there's good money in that if you do the job right and you have contracts and you have legal requirements and you you exist as an entity in the world and i don't think that you can detonate a pulse bomb destroy the businesses that did backups with you and then go well you know i'm not going to turn over your backups to you and by the way i own investment in your competitors and now they're going to make a fortune i'm thinking you've got some serious legal problems there above you know ignoring the fact that you get caught for detonating a pulse wave. so if they didn't get caught that's that's my point if this went off without a hitch and they detonated these pulses, and there are no witnesses and whatnot. They still have to be in non-compliance with their contracts to restore the data to these people. And there's a conflict of interest there, a clear conflict of interest there. Oh, yeah, well, we did okay. restore the data to com- company B, but not to company A. And guess what? That benefited company B. Oh, we own some of company B. Oh, well, what a coincidence. They are gonna, they're, they're not going to keep out of jail over that for the long-term implications on this just it, it it isn't gonna happen so that part i i <laughs> that part makes sense but or it doesn't make sense but it i get where they were going with it but again it doesn't hold up as a very good plan in the long run so maybe it's patrick's plan if i mean if you're if you're actually going to apply logic <laughs> at that level well, to, I, to at some point Sat- saturday night bbc one television the I, th- I think the the question in my mind, I mean, obviously, they could have used the fact that they had all the data from these different competing companies in interesting ways, as I've suggested. And mm-hmm. that, you know, there there are those ethical questions about if they have access to that data, what can they then do to manipulate them? But let's suppose that they have settled on this notion that they are going to detonate the pulse weapon and the, and this is their main this is their main goal they're going to detonate the pe- pe- the pulse weapon everyone is dependent on computers so you know maybe that's the doomwatch thing in this i don't yeah. know everyone is dependent on computers and the key thing is their backups because somehow the building is protected i want to come back to that but okay yeah. the building is protected and so they knock out all of the companies well all the, all of the companies and then they give backups to the ones that they want to do well because they have an interest in so in on the basis of that my two questions are why are they bothering to seek out the companies for whom they have no intention to provide the backups as clients for their backup business because that's going to take them time and effort and as you say it's going to cause them grief and it's not going to give them any advantage whatsoever so that's one question. And secondly, do you really need to a hostile takeover of each company that you are hoping will succeed and therefore improve the value of your investments when you could just buy shares in them? Exactly. I mean, they're going to be able to provide backups to a whole range of... The, they have control over which businesses are going to succeed and which aren't. 
-hmm. There's a range of businesses out there. They don't need a controlling interest. They just need enough shares in enough businesses to mean, because the shares are going to shoot up in price, that they that they make the, the kind of money that they're looking for. And I can't yep. see what value they get out of any of the rest of this nonsense. Plus, they seem to have a heck of a good business going there right now. I mean, I'm not saying you, you can't be richer because that is the zeitgeist of that era, but they've definitely got a very good business going there. They're sure, in the growth industry not... and, and they're... It's, it's work. It's work, isn't it? I mean... Well, they the, seem to be able to do it with only two people. Cr criminal heist fantasy is all about saying what we're going to do is we're going to pull off this one big job and then it'll be enough for us to go and retire on in Marbella. Yeah. Or whatever. Okay. L let me, let me, then let me look at the other, the other thing that really gets me because for those people who have listened to this, who have not figured this out, I spent my career uh, managing IT systems and departments. And uh, so I, I have a fair understanding of how backups work <laughs> or, or how they're done or how offsite backups are done or, uh, or, or what are the practical upstarts. And I can guarantee you that one of the problems people have is being able to actually access their own old backups because of changes in software, changes in format, changes in media, changing you. So the, the biggest the biggest problems I see with this is, okay, fine, I'm delivering stuff to these guys, which is probably more likely coming in tapes, not over a 19 2K baud modem, <laughs> which wouldn't be very much data, but we'll get so in, in the problems cattle category. You have to understand the format of all the data that's being given to you. That is not a trivial task. You need to have the software that can read that data. You have to have physical equipment that is compatible with that data. You have to have physical equipment that is compatible with the computing environment that it came from. You need to have a uh, software that is then runs the the software that the data that you've retrieved from the backup right so you have to you have to have the right backup software to get the data out of it. you have to have the right drives you have to have the backup software you have to have the right computers to put it on and then you have to have the right software to read the data once you've got it out of there and then you have to understand how the damn company is organized and how their data is stored and because they usually frequently use mixed mode backups and things so to do that that is an enormous amount of work to sift through theoretically all possible but it's it's expensive it's time consuming and there's only seems to be two guys working in this company and i don't care how smart they are i'm not buying <laughs> off that that they could do this now i'll put on the positive side it is possible to read data off of a tape or magnetic media or or a file that's transmitted to you without that software. But of course, you have to be able to figure out how it is formatted, how it is laid out, how the data is structured on the tapes. And so therefore, it is doable. But again, it's a lot of work. Another thing that's positive is that these are all small companies. And they're all small companies in the 90s. And that means they're using PCs. So it is much more likely that you can go over and you can buy a copy of Norton Backup Lotus 1, 2, 3, and WordStar, and you will be able to extract and read a fair amount of their data. Another thing that's in their favor is that the odds are they probably don't need their architectural drawings. They probably don't need their, their business data. What they're looking for are documents and spreadsheets that show that the business is in trouble. Memos. So again, we're back to an email program or Word. Word Star or Lotus One Two Three. So, you know, if you narrowed your search down, it, it's it's going to be a lot easier to do that for PCs than it would be as like, oh, this company's using IBM AS four hundreds, or this company is using Deck tens, or whatever computing system it happened to be, because it would just be impossible to to be able to extract through all of that. So, by targeting small companies, they do have a smaller technology base that they could work on. That still is a hell of a lot of work to achieve what they're doing. So 
I, 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 you know, privacy, it, you're right. It is a doom watch level scenario there. When you give your data over to someone, they are supposed to keep it safe. And I know, for example, uh, uh, one of the services that we used, the data was locked in boxes before we provided them boxes. Now, I'm sure that they could get into the boxes, but, you know, everybody on staff was thoroughly vetted and background checked and everything's under surveillance all the time and these things could be reviewed and basically your stuff never came out of those boxes it's it was not loaded onto a massive batch of ibm disk drives as it was now of course nowadays not in the 90s but nowadays uh most backups are virtual and well i don't know if most is a true statement but many are virtual and done electronically and even that is a fascinating challenge technologically. But um, yeah, this this is pretty hard. And I mean, when you when you trust your data over to someone, you vet them. And these guys just do not have the having a Dropbox that you put stuff in and then it says, "Okay, now go away," is not <laughs> not what you're looking for when you. Uh, when you evaluate a company to do this kind of stuff you know come to think of it maybe maybe they don't do the big companies i've talked myself into that position so maybe they don't handle ibm in geneva because they couldn't they couldn't get the contract in the first place but but john smith and his weapon works doesn't have the resources they look at the ad in the yellow pages oh computer recall those sound like the guys for me maybe maybe that's how it works the people are too incompetent in their procurement are the ones that end up sending their data to computer recall. Hmm. No evidence of that in this episode, but it's a possibility. <clears throat> Any, anything else on backups? I've had my rant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I can add anything to that. So let's talk about the weapons. Now, we have the overly complicated bazooka. Okay, it's an overly complicated bazooka. Can I ask this simple question? What is the tactical advantage of an overly complicated bazooka. What, what is the value of putting in the range, putting in the size of the target, and then shooting it? I, I don't understand how that's better in any way than just shooting them with a bazooka or a gun. <laughs> or a gun at that distance. I mean, you can see. I mean, there's no body. Over a, di uh, but... over a distance, the, um, the, the amount of firepower that it can provide would give it an advantage when you're shooting something someone in front of a lift two meters away in from your it, own building or even down the other end of a corridor in your own building indeed you would think you probably would be better off using something i don't know a little a little less likely to cause large amounts of collateral damage so a like scorch marks on the wall. Yeah. Small, small, small pistol, or you know, or maybe a kosh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's bugs, so it's we bugs. have to uh, we have to have and things have to blow up. Yeah, uh, it has to have a ridiculous, ridiculous technology aspect, and and that bazooka was certainly it. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, do they have super soakers in Britain? Do you know what that? term was yes. okay yes obviously paint one black fill it with glue and sell it from your weapons company <laughs> so, i i love the idea behind that i have to admit i mean it's it's a ridiculous weapon but in other words it's like this woman has got this i make non-lethal weapons and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go down to Walmart and I'm going to buy a super soaker I'm going to spray paint it black so it looks serious and we'll fill it with glue. <laughs> okay, let's let's do that. Okay. <laughs> I guess she had to develop the glue. Well, it's. I mean, if you're, if you have that kind of marketing genius, the truth is you're going to make a fortune. So you know, fair right, enough. That's true. I'm not sure Weapons Works as a name demonstrates it, but we know she didn't name Gizmos. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. But uh, yeah, and she can design an EM pulse weapon. Yes, yes. So... Well, there's range there. There's range, yeah. yes. Okay, fair enough. 
So like, I, I'm, I'm in this for the entire market, and and we go. So um, yeah. Uh, do do we? You wanted to talk about it, and I'll ask because these are related topics. Uh, how they would shield an entire building from EM radiation, I believe, is what you're going to say, uh, or I go into. I'm going to ask and, for sure. And then, how do we know that when the missile shot into the building, which has been breached, they didn't destroy all the computers in the area anyway? Good point. I mean, even if it's just the buildings out the front through the hole in the building or something, if if the and is it an active or is it a passive shielding mechanism? Because if it's active, then it's possible the damage would have turned the shielding off. Well, I'm wondering if it... I, I, I don't know enough about these electromagnetic pulses and the damage that they do to electronic equipment to understand how you might protect them. But would a Faraday cage or something that simple be sufficient? That is a good question, and I and it's a pity John is not uh, working with us on this one because John would know the answer to that question. I've asked him about Faraday cages in the past. It's um, I, I know I've had a discussion with him about, well, why don't, you know, if they're so, this was some years ago, you know, if everybody's complaining about phones in theaters, why don't they put a Faraday cage? Why don't they build the theater in a Faraday cage? And... I think the answer was, well, in theory, you could do it, but you may have to tune it for the certain frequencies, for one. Okay, yeah. And the second one is, of course, that would be illegal because you would be jamming radio frequencies that are used by emergency uh, services. And so it's also it's also a violation of uh, law to to block things like that jamming. But I, I, I my thought is that a faraday cage is functions because boy i'm 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 stretching here that the that the the distance between the elements of the cage are the right distance to break up the frequency that you're trying to shield right so it is it's going to depend on the wavelength and that and so yeah it might it might work for the obviously they've got to know something about the pulse weapon haven't they Yes. So which they've they, got the backups, so it's okay. They they <laughs> might not, well, well, yeah. I guess they haven't. Yes, they haven't taken over the company. But then I still don't understand why they were trying to take over the company. So never mind. We'll <laughs> we'll we'll assume since since we're ha- happy and ignorant, this may spoil the episode for John should he watch it. But we can now w- watch the episode in happy ignorance of the possibility that they've got this wrong because we don't know either. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm looking on the internet right now to try to catch this, and and I cannot I cannot attest to the effect of this and this <laughs> because of the site that I'm on. But it's the high one for the it's listeners. The high, tell it's high, tell us, listeners. <laughs> I'll quote this from thesurvivalmom.com. It turns out that a very effective EMP protection measure or shielding can be made from aluminum foil. (laughs) (laughs) Common heavy-duty aluminum foil successfully blocked all 9 million watts of RF energy from reaching the radios. The radio needed to be wrapped in three layers, but it worked. For AM signals, though, I needed five layers to successfully block out the RF energy. (laughs) Okay. I'm not saying that these people are legitimate. <laughs> it's like I said, this came up number one on Google search, how to protect against EM pulse. That was, <laughs> it's possible. <clears throat> so those tinfoil hat people are not wrong. <laughs> it will keep their brains from being fried by an EM pulse. <laughs> All right. <sighs> Why did they? Why did they need a missile launcher? For the EM pulse thing. Missiles. Missile. Uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not... Why did they need it to be mobile? Th- these were these were tracking missiles. They, they could fly wherever you sent them to. Therefore, you could literally prop them up in a field on a stick and send them off and send them to wherever you wanted them to go. But we don't know whether they were going to a field with them because they never got there no i i'm my point is that my point is is they didn't need an elaborate launching mechanism 
They they could oh, have I just see. set yes. the missiles down practically on the ground or or on a table sticking off the side and and he could have launched the fire button and the missiles would have gone where he told it to go. So it seemed odd that they were building a missile launcher that they said, although they didn't do, was supposed to be mounted on a vehicle. I guess it was mounted in a truck. That's not what I was thinking mm-hmm. when they said mounted on a vehicle. I was thinking like on the back of the A-team, on the top of the A-team's van or something. But um, it just, I mean, I get why you don't want to launch them from your business because, you know, no, somebody might figure in that the, out. In the, but, yeah. in the field, you have to... You have to transport the missile. Yeah, it was in a nice box. You, and up, up to the point where you're going to... Yeah, I guess. Yeah, nice box would do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, fair I, enough. I'm not... I'm not, uh, I'm not... This is not a hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> I think it's just an excuse to get them in another company that was part of this... Uh, part of this thing. But, but wouldn't it have been better if... Well, no, it needed to be one that was... It needed to be one that was non-essential... I was going to say, you know, uh, what's her name? Could have Claire could have made the EM pulse bomb, and another company could have made the seeking missile technology. Sure, and that would have been a nice, <clears throat> a nice pairing. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> there, I had questions. I had questions. I do want to say uh, that they, you know, they didn't even give a hat check to Van Eck freaking by name anyway. This, this is the concept of reading the, the RF from a CRT to determine what's on the CRT. Okay, yeah, I want, I want, to, I want to ask you about that. Okay, what, what do you want to ask about it? So I'm not an expert, so, but... <laughs> my question is, can you, do, can you do it with the phone like that? Not my understanding, no. Right. I didn't think you could do it with a phone like that. I, I, I think you can do it with something that monitors radio frequencies which a phone does not but no but it might it might be there might be radio frequency interference with the phone that you would be able to detect if it's electronic phone i guess if it was a digital phone but if it's just an old style analog phone i kind of don't think so well Again, you, you'd be regist- my follow-up question then <laughs> Well, go ahead. I want to hear the follow-up question anyway. But. Well, I just wondered if it, if it was possible whether you would get anything like that kind of resolution, and also if it's dependent on the if it's dependent on the radiation interference from the CRT screen, how are they picking up the sound as well as the image? Well, doggone good question. Um, you couldn't. That, that's exactly right. Um, so my understanding is that if you can get that is theoretically possible to, it's been demonstrated to be possible supposedly successfully and i'll get to that in a minute with equipment that you can determine what's on a screen now whether or not that Mm -hmm. means you can read it or whether or not you can just get a general idea i don't know uh scenarios that i've heard of where people are doing that or were postulating that this is a thing you could do what you would do is you would one find a way to tap into the the rf of the monitor and then for the sound you could bounce a laser beam off the window of the building in the room and you can measure the yes. vibrations of the window and get the sound. Which they did in... Did they do that in Out of the Hive? Or oh, no? Mm, maybe mm, they don't just remember. had a very directional microphone. I can't, yeah, I can't remember. I don't remember, but anyway. But anyway, Van Eck Freaking is what that's called. It was uh, uh, done by a, a guy named Van Eck. Um, the concept and 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 I'm going to quote from Wikipedia here uh, in the paper where he described this Van Eck reports that in February of 1985 a successful test of this concept was carried out with the cooperation of the BBC using a van filled with electronic equipment and equipped with a VHF antenna array and they were able to eavesdrop from a quote large distance there is no evidence that the BBC's TV detector vans actually used this technology, although the BBC will not reveal whether or not they are a hoax. <laughs> and I got to thinking about that because, I, I, you know, we don't have anything like TV detector vans, whether or not Britain is really, you know, <laughs> it's like, 
that's just a thing that's never happened here. So when we hear about TV detector vans over here, it's usually on Monty Python or talking about that. And I know that there's like nobody supposedly knows what the TV detector vans actually can do, if indeed they do anything at all, other than just intimidate people. But uh, when I... When I saw that, it, depends oh, yeah, this, how much of this would be hilarious. You are. Yeah, this would be hilarious. You're driving by the house and you could actually see what they're watching on the TV. It would be much easier to drive by the house, bounce a laser off their window. They don't. And, they don't. And you, they don't do either the of those things. Yeah. Well, I, if if the if the notion of that you wanted to know if people were watching the BBC and needed to be charged for a license, no, <laughs> you don't need to know that because. That's not what that that's not what defines whether you need to pay for a license or not. It's not a question of what you're watching. It's just if you own a TV, right? Or it uh, used to be if, just if you own a TV. It's if you use a TV. And the way that the detector vans actually work, there is no screen or anything inside for Vanek Freaking. The way they actually work is by detecting whether you are receiving on the UHF frequency that is appropriate to a TV channel in the area in which you're in, and that that will essentially be they'll pick they'll pick the channel. So if it's seven thirty, they'll pick BBC One because everyone's watching EastEnders. Mm. How do they know if you're receiving that UHF signal? Because of the the uh, the interference the TV itself produces. Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll take that. Um... I, I, you know, I've, I've definitely heard an awful lot of information, misinformation uh, about the BBC TV detector vans <laughs> over the years. But it's interesting that that I've, that I, I've been inside one. They don't have screens in them. You are, you are, unless, or, unless part obviously, of the <laughs> unless obviously, what I well, maybe, maybe I was shown the inside of a fake TV detector van where everything within it was actually just mocked up and operated by uh, sophisticated electronics or possibly just puppets. That's not done now, though, right? Because you can watch the BBC on your computer and and yeah, I'm TV not sure you get TV different. detector vans anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was pretty old school. I certainly I mean, haven't seen one for a long time. Who has an antenna? as well you know that's all i'm sure it's all cable yes so, yeah so. well i mean no the, lots of people do have tv antenna but that just not having one would not mean that you did not have to have a tv license mm. especially as these days in order to watch iplayer even though the, i mean the the there there the, are people who can watch iplayer don't go on the other countries yeah. wireless <laughs> telegraphy act yeah but it was amended because actually what it said was you have to have a TV license to watch live TV and you could watch videos or you could use a, a, a video mm. console hooked up to your TV perfectly legally. And the, and the way they operate actually changed over the years because they used to say, well, if, you know, if, you, if you're doing that, you have to detune the TV. It has to be not capable of receiving a TV signal. Well, actually, that turned out not to be a correct reading of the law because later on, when the internet came along and essentially any internet connected device with the right software on well with a web browser essentially would be able to receive a tv signal just by going to bbc.co.uk slash iplayer and watching one of the channels live so they did actually amend the law to make watching catch-up tv as well from the bbc something that requires a license you now need a license either to receive live television or to watch catch up on iPlayer. I'm just curious. I I, I can't say why because I'm not in the UK, and so therefore I have no access to iPlayer. But apocryphally, I can say that I have seen things that would say when somebody watches something on the iPlayer in catch up it plays it and if somebody tries to watch the live channels in iPlayer it pops up with a warning that says you must have a TV license to watch this have you got a TV license yes or no that's what and you used to do yeah it it how long ago did it stop doing that uh when they changed the law rough idea i mean are we talking like within the last 6 months 
No, no, a few years huh. ago. <clears throat> I must have been watching. I must have been watching a videotape of somebody that did that longer than that ago. Then, when I saw that behavior. But anyhow, let's see. What else have we got? Uh, I just want to give a shout out to those IBM computers that they had in the data center there. I never got a good enough look at them, but they are very, very, very familiar to me because I've, I've worked on a tons of them. They there could have been IBM AS four hundreds. They could have been. I didn't see CPUs. I saw disks there mostly, but they could have been bigger systems. But man, with those those old comforting like those us robotics modems that was just an old comforting reminder <laughs> of what computers used to look like in the day <laughs> that was that was an expensive data room where they shot wherever they were because that that had to be real i think they must have been on location somewhere let them into their somewhere data on center. the isle of dogs presumably yeah so i was wave of nostalgia some days this show just just gets me Ah, uh, do you have anything else before we go to the tag scene? Uh, well, there's, there's a, one other point I've got on the plot itself, which was the shears for cutting through the wire that uh, oh, Jean yeah. Daniel just happened to keep on his computer table, as you do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there was that. Oh, I did. I, yeah, that was that was very nice. And the mobile computer terminal, which, why? <laughs> yeah. Oh, just wheel it in over here, set it down. Oh, no, no, we do know why. That was so that they could... I've got an answer. They wheeled that computer in so that they could do video calls with the girl. And then they could take it away from her. So it was out of her reach. So she couldn't try emailing for help. And the scissors were there so that they could cut the connection real fast in case she did something. (laughs) Air gap. (laughs) Before... um... (laughs) I don't know what the scissors were there for. But yeah, that was sick. I also should say, come on. I loved I loved the trackball thing. I'll bet I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet. Because I still use a trackball. I mean I mostly use touchpads, but I I it literally had a computer today that's using a trackball because of my carpal tunnel. So mice mice are bad. Trackballs are better. And of course they were used to be Again, this is me going back over my years of, of managing this stuff. There was a period of time about when this show came out that trackballs were much bigger. They were much, and I don't mean bigger physically, but in that case too, you know, they were, they were really popular. Everybody was going, I need an ergonomic keyboard and I need a trackball. And so I can, I'm willing to bet that the writers, one of the writers had a trackball. That's, that's bet number one. And bet number two is that some person took that trackball away took the ball out of the trackball and hit it because that's exactly the kind of thing people do in offices all the time (laughs) and i'm sure that he's sitting down to write his he's got this brilliant idea i've got this story about uh, em pulse and data backups and he sets down at his computer and he reaches and he grabs and there's no ball there because henry took it and hit it in the office refrigerator and he goes, oh, I'm so putting that in this story. Because <laughs> that, that had to be <laughs> where that came about. I'm just, um, that was also a fun bit of, of nostalgia from the past. I, you know, these episodes haven't normally done that to me, but this one is, was quite full of it. So, um, well, it nostalgia. could be the subject matter, could yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> this one was quite full of it, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> we should mention that. That writer was Stephen Gallagher in his ah, fourth yeah. fourth episode of, of Bugs so far. Yeah. Um, there are there are the things that we learn about the uh, the, the the gizmos. The, uh, so, for example, this week it's Beckett that's in trouble. Yes. Um, you know Which you're going me. to die. Really? Well, in, in a whose way. Turn, it, whose turn was it? Well, I, I wasn't doing it on rotation. I, you know, I do it based like last time when they, when they mentioned the fact suddenly that Ross was a, a, a champion athlete out of the blue. It's like, okay, athlete tied. She's, you know, she's 51% the chance, Ed 49% chance. Beckett is right out of the running. I didn't know who it was going to be in this episode based on anything in the episode. How about that? It's like, oh, it's Beckett. All right. 
Uh, there, there you go. He, uh, John Daniel t tells him, you know you're going to die. But I'm thinking, why is he still alive? I mean, there is some sort of explanation about hostage, but I don't really understand what exactly that's achieving. So, I mean, they have a hostage. They've got Katie. Yeah. It's just an excuse to get him in the building without because Beckett's obviously too big to go in through the data chute. Although I'm true. pretty sure Ed's yeah. too big to go in through the data chute too, but definitely but. true. Definitely true. What we do learn about Ed in this episode is that he has an actual friend who's not one of the other gizmos. Oh yeah, and that's true. He's good with kids. He seems to be okay with Katie. Katie likes him. Did she? I think she liked Ed, yeah. Okay, I didn't. I kind of didn't get that. I was not particularly impressed with Katie's uh, or the actress's performance. I liked it. it I I thought she I was good. Abigail Ansel. Figure out what was going on there with with that sort of odd disinterest, but it was. And then the fact that turning around at the end of this, what is she trying to accomplish? To get Beckett to marry oh, the... her mom. Yeah, in the tag scene. Yeah, well, I d yes, I don't know about that. I mean, I liked the, I liked the fact that Claire actually survived, and obviously Katie. But then I didn't think they were going to kill a kid. Um, but I liked the fact they survived. I wasn't necessarily thinking they should be invited into the tag scene. But then it's not like they're going to ruin a beautiful thing. Because so far, <laughs> no, you know, they have been we've pretty, not seen great quality there. Pretty bad. We're talking about um, performances. The other the other guest actors on this there's anton lesser as patrick i don't know whether he, i don't know whether you'd recognize him um because i don't know i guess i mean i know him from radio quite a lot he's got he i would not recognize his face from radio no you wouldn't recognize his face you might recognize his voice and i don't know whether i don't know whether alternative histories count as sci-fi so um, he he played Inspector March in the radio adaptation of Fatherland, which is absolutely you know it's a superb is is one of those adaptations that surpasses the book and he's superb in it. Um, he was also very good in the Hour, though that's not really sci-fi. Um, also Invasion Earth, which definitely is sci-fi. Yeah, I haven't seen that, but yeah, okay. uh, he he looks recognizable, but with that particular coloration and uh facial hair he he could be somebody else in fact i'll give you a i'll give you an example i was uh i was going through my computer today and i was trying to figure out which videos had been encoded as h264 versus those that had been encoded as h265 and um as you the, do, as you do. and I couldn't, I, I found a directory of files that didn't have a name on it. And so I was trying to figure out what it was. So I, I hit, you know, space bar to, to preview this video. And instantly that guy, or I would swear it's that guy, was in it as a businessman who was showing a new young woman. And it, it looked just like the same era about their high their high-tech business and their data center and their gold repository. And I just looking at that guy going, that is exactly the guy I just saw in Pulse. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. I wonder what the heck show this is. Oh, it's an episode of Bugs. So he may be back. <laughs> That's a different character. I'm not 100% sure. But, well, uh, hang on. Hang on. We're talking about, Pat we're talking about Anton Lesser as Patrick. Patrick, yeah. yeah. We are not if it's not him. If it's not him, then about... it's somebody who looks just like him. Or very much to me. Okay, okay, okay. But, well, uh, no, okay, that's interesting. Anton Lesser definitely buys the farm in this episode. Oh yeah, no, it was a different character. Okay, it's right. definitely a different character. Whereas, which is kind of the same whereas, thing. Whereas um, Jean Daniel Marcel was defeated using a non-lethal weapon. Yes, he could come back. So, hmm, have we seen the last of him? <laughs> I don't. That's a, you know I um, I'm, I didn't look. Um, I looked who the actor was, Gareth Marks, and I it didn't look like I didn't go through his filmography. You know, it said, "Oh, he's known for this, this, and this," and one of those three things was Bugs. And I thought, "Wow, this guy does not have much of a filmography." If his one appearance in Bugs got him a mention as best known for Bugs, so 
now that you've tipped me off, there's a part I hadn't thought about the fact he might come back. Okay. Most most recent credit, incidentally, is uh, from Doctor Who two years ago. So he's still around. Still around. What, was there anything to, while we're on it, before we kill this off once and for all, was there anything to the the plot twist of Mars, uh, Patrick being the dumb one and the and seeming to the boss and Jean Janel being the chauffeur pretending to be, but really the smart one. I mean, that doesn't exactly didn't, pay off. No, it didn't. I mean, I thought in the opening it was done quite well because it, as soon as as soon as you see him open the door to his hostage, you get a sense that there is something very off about that power dynamic and then to take that further by actually saying you know not not only is this the not only is this the case where the chauffeur is holding this man against his will on behalf of his employer he's actually not doing it on behalf of his employer again that's another thing where he is choosing to be seen as being not in charge when in fact he's the one pulling all of the strings so it was it was it was cleverly telegraphed from the beginning it was then built on but it then did sort of fizzle out as far as i was concerned because what the hell was the point yeah just just a twist why do it i mean why do it at all see they do seem to put twists in this show that don't seem to go anywhere they're just yeah well and 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 off often often with the the guest characters the villains are not necessarily clearly drawn in terms of their psychology and motivation right so it might be an interesting question to ask why he did that but we don't ask that yeah i don't have anything else i i do want to say that during the course of the actual story beckett never met claire oh well i hadn't spotted that but um, so the fact that katie is tag scene oh since katie wants him to marry his her mom that's clearly because Katie took a shine to him during their captivity sequence. See, I didn't feel like she took a see, took a shine to Ed because she was kind of indifferent to both of them. But obviously afterwards, she was very much taken with Beckett. So that's all I got. That's all I've got. All right. Uh, well, so as with uh, our, our newer policy, we're going to take a break here for a while from Bugs before we come back from Series 2. Um, so I won't even name the next episode of Bugs because A, I don't know it, and B, it's could be it could be several weeks away. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com/slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.